Before we get started with today's show, I want to tell you guys about betonline.ag. October isn't quite over yet, people. We still got basketball, baseball, football, hockey, college sports all going on at the same time, and the only way to keep up with all of your favorite sports and Vegas casino games is with betonline.ag. Head to the new updated desktop or mobile website to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Use the promo code BLEAVE50, B-L-E-A-V-50, to receive your bonus. Bet online, where the game starts. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, or good night. However and whenever it is, you may be listening. Thank you for stopping into another fantabulous episode of the Take It Easy podcast live on the Believe Podcast Network, except it isn't live because it is a podcast. Welcome in, everybody. It is October 27th, according to my count. We have a fantabulous show planned for you today. Gage Bridgeford is joining us to talk about the NFL We're going to talk about the Seahawks. We're going to talk about the Packers. We're going to talk about what is wrong with the Kansas City Chiefs because that's the obligatory conversation we have going on right now. But first, how about the Atlanta Braves? And I know we were going to preview the World Series. Uh, We moved some stuff around here on the podcast and we will deliver World Series coverage eventually. Again, if you're looking for a World Series preview, check out the Slump Buster. Did a great one with Juju Talk Sports on YouTube. Support us. We are getting close to monetizing that as well and helping to move these dreams forward. But even still, let's talk about Game 1 because the Atlanta Braves kicked ass. The shortest start in World Series Game 1 since 2005 for Framber Valdez and then Charlie Morton broke his shin on a line drive that bounced off of his leg and pitched three more outs for the Atlanta Braves now fortunately for him his offense came through like wire to wire win for Atlanta like literally third pitch of the game they hit a home run never turned the lead back after that but still Charlie Morton Mad respect for you. And he's going to be gone for the rest of the playoffs, which is a huge loss for Atlanta, considering that the strength of the team, other than this weird like pop moment where Jock Peterson and Adam Duvall and uh, Adam uh, Austin Riley have become massive offensive weapons for the Braves. Like, yes, that's a big part of their getting to the World Series, but that pitching staff made a huge difference for. Atlanta and losing Charlie Morton for the rest of the series is going to be tough considering that after Anderson and Freed there's not a lot of pitchers you really trust down in that lineup maybe they'll do a bullpen day one of these days because the bullpen's been remarkably strong for them but I mean I'm just amazed Charlie Morton threw three extra outs after breaking his shin and the fact that they were able to diagnose it so fast like usually when you have injuries like that they usually put up the We are doing an MRI to run. Nah, this is the seventh inning of the game. And they were like, nope, broken shin. 
we're good. We're done. He's he's out. We can see it. He's broken his shin. That's it for Charlie Morton. But, you know, shout out to him. Charlie Morton played phenomenal. Framber Valdez, not so phenomenal. Um, it's hard to gauge the Astros pitching staff because Valdez went one game where he got rocked by the Boston Red Sox. Then he threw five shutout innings against the Boston Red Sox. And now he's gone the shortest game one start since, surprisingly, Roger Clemens pitching for the Houston Astros. Fun fact of the day. Um, So Houston ends up losing game one on their home field. Not like this matters, like baseball is random in that way. This happened in 2019 as well, where Washington won the first two games at Houston. Houston won the next three in Washington, and then Washington won the next two in Houston. First time ever that a road team won all seven games of a World Series. But even still, like putting that aside, like that may be a once in a lifetime thing. Baseball's just really weird. I don't think very many people predicted that the Atlanta Braves would pummel the Houston Astros and Charlie Morton would leave the game in the fourth inning with an injury. Like, I don't think very many people would have had that down because baseball in a one-game sample size is ridiculously random, especially when you have the strong teams like the Braves and the Astros. And the Braves, I don't understand. I don't understand how all of this is happening. I thought they were going to be the first team out of the playoffs. I picked against them in the DS. I picked against them in the CS. I picked against them in the World Series. And in true baseball fashion, the Braves might end up being one of these chaos champions with Jock Peterson and Jorge Soler, who hit under 200 this year, but is the leadoff hitter for the World Series Atlanta Braves, hitting a home run on the third pitch of the game. Yeah, that Jorge Soler and that Jock Peterson might end up being World Series co-MVPs. So there's your five minutes of baseball talk. I want to get to this podcast with Gage Bridgeford because it is excellent. We always have great conversations with Gage. Check out his Twitter. It's the best place to find all of his work. So without much further ado, let's get to it. Uh, I on your end, since the last time we talked, your Packers have not lost a game in four or five weeks. So how do you feel about that? They've obviously got the game of the week this week or game of the one of those like four or five games of the year where it feels like everyone has to watch it. So how do you yeah, feel about I was, that? Uh, I was watching the Pat McAfee show uh, on Tuesday, Aaron Rodgers Tuesday, and they were talking to him about uh, how this is like the game of the year type of thing. And I don't know if I'd quite put it up there as the game of the year, but it's uh. It's definitely one of the uh, the better ones of the year. Obviously, we had Rams, Bucks uh, a few weeks ago. Rams, Cardinals. You got Green Bay and Cardinals now. There was the Chiefs, the Bills Ravens Titans. was fun too. Chiefs, Ravens, Bills. Uh, the Bills, uh, Bills Titans game was great. There's but there's great games every week, and I think this could. I think this is going to be one of those games where everybody's going to be watching, and at, and it'll be interesting to see what happens for Green Bay. Uh, since uh, Monday, since midday Monday, we've had Devontae Adams, Joe Barry, and Alan Lazard all placed on the COVID list. And while Adams could find his way back into the lineup, there that is not a guarantee for uh, Lazard is officially out. Um, Barry is likely not going to be able to coach either. So it's going to be an interesting game, especially if uh, Devontae and Lazard are both out. Well, this is the interesting thing for Rodgers, too, is that this now kind of feels like a low-stress game for the Packers because the Packers the whole season, the thing I set off the bat was like, the regular season does not matter at all to Green Bay. They're going to win the division no matter what. Maybe they get a first-round bye, maybe they don't. It's not really that important whether they do or not. But 
they're they're one of these teams that's like has their eyes already fixated on the postseason. Like the only thing that matters to them this year are those three games in January to get them to, I guess, maximize the window of the team that they have. Like, I don't know if Rodgers is done or not done because it's kind of disappeared over the last two months, but this is kind of like a low stakes big game for the Packers, I feel like. It, yeah, it, it really is. Uh, Green Bay is focused on, obviously they're focused on winning every single week. And there's the aspect of, oh, you want to take every, you want to start every week, you're zero and zero. You always want to go one and oh or whatever, but Green Bay plays the Chiefs next week and they are really, really beat up right now. And they're going to be a lot healthier come that game against the Chiefs. Green Bay is playing with house money right now. They're six and one. They have as many wins as the rest of the NFC North combined. As you said, they're doing very, they're doing very <laughs> well amazing. in division. Yeah, they're, so they're six and one. Vikings three and three. Bears three and four. Lions 0 oh and seven. So Green Bay is Green Bay's dominating their division. In so let's so this game they're going to be without Jagger Alexander for sure. As of recording this, Devontae Adams is work is up in the air. Alan Zard is for sure out. Zadarius Smith hasn't played since week one. They have Kevin King has played, I think, only two or three games all year. They're beat up all over the place. David Bakhtiari has yet to play this year. They've been their offensive line, they've only had one guy who has started all or one or two guys that have started all seven games. They're beat up all over the place. Now, you fast forward a week, Marcos Valdez-Scantling could be back. David Bakhtiari is right around the corner from returning. Devontae Adams would like, likely be back for that game. So Green Bay is not going to rush anybody back anybody back for this week, and that's why I think what's going to happen here, if Green Bay loses this game, and like especially if they get like boat raced in it, I think that a lot of people are going to be like, yep, yeah, Green Bay's frauds, this and that. And I'm like, all right, cool. Green Bay is missing 90% of their top performing players, but go ahead and keep sleeping on just like you did back in week one when they, when they shit the bed and then proceeded to rip off six straight games. And I believe they set an NFL record for like the first time a team has ever lost on opening day by 30 plus and then ripped off six straight wins. No, yeah, no that's just one of the that, results so. that, yeah, that's just one of the results that's not going to make sense at the end of the year. It happens all the time. Like we just have weird games that don't make sense, but they happened in the NFL. So that's just going to be something we look back. We're like, oh, yeah, the Packers did get boat raced. By the well, that's, why I point to, that's why I point to last year with the, where the Saints boat raced the, the Tampa Bay Bucks on Sunday Night Football. And then what happened? The Bucks went and won the damn Super Bowl last year. And you know they what the score of the game was? 38-3. to three. It was 38-3 <laughs> to three where the Bucks got just completely smoked on Sunday Night Primetime TV. And then they proceeded to rip off just nonstop wins and win a Super Bowl. So that's why I'm like, it doesn't matter what happens in week one. All that matters is, as you said, those games in January and February, those are the only games that matter. And that's the ones that ultimately teams like Green Bay, Arizona, L.A., Tampa, that's the games they're focused on. They're not focused on these mid-October mid, uh, games. They're focused on the games that really matter. So is this just an exclusive domain of the Saints? Because I feel like it's just the Saints and Titans are the only teams that just have these weird weird results where we know they aren't actually that good, but then they boat race a team that's really good. And we start no. to believe that they're a good team. No, the team no, the team that's the the team that is exclusively plays weird games is Seattle. Seattle is the the peak just weird weird team. They have never played a normal game in their life. And that's if a good you, one. That's like, a if you just one. go back, like I think it's uh, Ben Solak of the Ringer 
he has talked about this on many podcasts before where all the Seahawks do is play weird games. It's they had the, the game in the Super Bowl against the Patriots where they could have ran it on like on the one yard line. They threw a pick. They had the infamous fail Mary with the replacement reps. They had the Doug Baldwin ball where it like bounced off of him while he was sliding across the ground and sent him to overtime when Brandon Bostick went for the onside kick against Green Bay. It just Seattle doesn't play normal games. They they but just, then they also lose a game like ten to seven against Colt McCoy and Alfred Morris. Exactly. There's there's no rhyme or reason. They play they play weird games, and it's like why why are you like this? Why why are you yeah. the way that you are? That's basically what the Seattle meme is. So so yeah, the, the Titans play those weird games, and the Saints do as well. But it's but Seattle is the crown of weird games. I think didn't this used to be the Giants too when they like won that playoff game against the Packers and won that one against the 49ers and made those two Super Bowl runs? Like I feel like it used to be the Giants and now it that domain has kind of been taken over by the Seahawks. Oh, the the thing with the the thing with the Giants is the Giants just get hot at the right time. Like when they won those two Super Bowls, they just got hot at the right time versus Seattle will just go ice cold randomly the like like you said they'll lose 10-7 to Colt McCoy and Alfred Morris and you're like how did you do this you put up I just watched you put up 42 two weeks ago why did yeah, you just the Legion of Boom Seahawks straight? won like three straight seasons of winning every home game and then I'm watching them play at home against the Giants and losing to Alfred Morris and Colt McCoy I'm like I don't understand any of this and the weird part is we know exactly how good they're going to be every year. They're always going to win 10 games. They're always going to play a wild card game. They might win. They might lose. But they're never going to make it further than the second round. Yeah, unless they're playing against Green Bay in the playoffs. But I don't think they're winning 10 games this year. They would have to go 8-2 and two the rest of the way. It is, uh, it's not yeah, looking but- great for that. Well, do they get a pass because of the Russell Wilson injury? Because I feel like the things that are going wrong outside of injuries are just – Things that could have been seen at the start of the season, but I feel like losing Chris Carson and losing Russell Wilson kind of gives them a pass for being bad this year. Okay, well, one, no. Nobody gets a pass this year. There's teams with injuries all over the league. No one gets a pass. You you just don't. But two, you had Russell Wilson for your first four games, and you were 2-2, two and two, including an overtime loss to the Titans, where you at one point led by, I believe, 14, and you had never lost a game when leading by 14 or more. And then you proceeded to lose because Derrick Henry was a man amongst boys and just ran all over you for the final half of the game. And against the Minnesota Vikings, you were at one point leading again by I think it was like seventeen to seventeen to seven, and then you didn't score it the rest of the game. Despite well, Russell yeah. Wilson throwing two hundred ninety-eight yards, Chris Carson had eighty yards on the ground, average six point seven yards per carry. That so no, I don't. Seattle doesn't get a pass. I mean, like if you want to say, oh well, they've lost three straight games, including two and a half of those games where Russ was hurt. Sure, I'll give you that. But you, it's not like you were. It's not like you were four and zero before Russ got hurt. You know. Yeah, but if if that had never happened before with the Titans one, doesn't that mean that's kind of like a fluke result? Which means they're like a two and two team that should be three and one, like three and one on paper, but two and two on the results because they probably should have won that Titans game. That's, I mean, that's fair, but that's when I'll just point to, I mean, the best teams win. Like, there's a, like, everybody wants to say that there's a reason Green Bay is consistently ranked as like between seven and 10 in power rankings. It's because they're not winning big. They're like winning ugly games. They had the game against the Bengals where Mesa Crosby couldn't make a field goal to save his life. You had the game against Washington this week where it was a two score game, but it was a lot closer than that would indicate. 
the Packers buried the game against the Bears a week ago. It took a late score to make that a 10 point game against the Steelers. They gave up an early score and granted nobody got to watch the entire first quarter of the game because TV broadcast was stupid, but they just, they weren't, the Lions were with them for half. The 49ers, they nearly blew that game and it took a heroic comeback from Green Bay to win that game. It's, they're not blowing teams out and that's why everyone would say, oh, well, they're not that good. It's, but guess what? It doesn't matter if they're not that good. They're six and one. So even if they're a false six and one, they're still six and one and not many other teams are six and one this year. You reminded me of a question I was going to ask before we got sidetracked on weird results, which is how weird is it that the Packers lose maybe the best center in the NFL and maybe the best left tackle in the NFL and somehow get better rushing the football? Because AJ Dillon's getting AJ Dillon's good, uh, Aaron Jones is good, and teams are wanting them to run. Uh, there's the too high shell defense that's been going everywhere. That's what the Saints ran against them in Week One. That's what the Lions tried to do in Week Two, and it's what a lot of teams are trying to do. Uh, they're trying to just put two safeties deep and trying to let and trying to either have you dink and dunk or let you run the football. And when you have an offensive and when you have a decent offensive line, which Green Bay's offensive line depth is outstanding right now. You're you're right. They don't have David Bakhtiari in. That's okay. Elton Jenkins has been is a All Pro left tackle, and he's a guard. It's nuts. He was also like a fourth round pick, right? Like uh, so he was weird. a second rounder. He was a second rounder. He was he was their he was their second round pick. A couple, I think it was 2018. I think it was 2018, 2019. But he so he wasn't the first. He wasn't a fourth. He wasn't a fourth rounder. But he wasn't a first round guy. But and everybody saw him when he was drafted. And they're like, who the heck is this guy? And then he's been he started he played all five positions for Green Bay last year. And he was great at all of them. That's why it's weird. It's like, hey, you have this guy that can be an all-pro at five spots. Normally, if a guy's an all-pro, he's an all-pro at one spot, not five. And that's that's what Elton can be. But they're not blowing teams out there, and they're running the ball well because teams are wanting them to run the ball. They would rather get beat by death by a thousand cuts and by the running game just running on them than letting Aaron Rodgers throw all over, throw all over you. That's why they're running the ball so well. Teams are letting them do that. Plus, A.J. So, Dillon and Aaron Jones are kind of good. Well, yeah, I, I thought A.J. Dillon was the number one running back out of that class in 2020. Like, I thought that dude was uh, like one of these Najee Harris body types where it's like you just look at him and think that guy's going to be excellent because look at him. He's a gigantic human being. But even still, going back to the Seahawks side, so if the Seahawks don't get a pass this year with the Russell Wilson injury situation, because they're going to miss the playoffs, like – if Russ doesn't come back for a month, there's no way they they're not gonna they're gonna miss the playoffs this year, especially. No, I'll division. give them a pass on missing the playoffs. I'm but I'm not giving them a pass on the struggles because they were struggling with Russ. That's that's more what I was focused on. I'm like you were you were two and two with him. You should have been three and one. You're right, but you weren't. You were two and two, and you so you weren't actually you weren't actually doing that well anyway to begin with. So that's why I was I'm not that's why I'm not giving them a pass. It's you had flaws that Russ was covering for you and now your flaws are being exposed. So to that point, what should they do at this off season? Uh, maybe, I maybe not invest in older players. Stop trying to just focus on, Oh, the Seattle system, the whole Russ, let Russ cook meme thing. Like don't make it just a meme, make that real. Russell Wilson is one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL and you're constantly trying to put the brakes on him. Let him, let him go. Let, like, let him sling the ball around the yard because guess what? Your defense is terrible. You have no, your best pass rusher as a safety and he hasn't even been that good of a pass rusher this year. You traded away your picks 
And even when you haven't traded away your picks, your first round picks are terrible. You, the Seahawks are get in a very precarious spot that they are only good right now because Russ makes them good. And they have, there's they're, they're bad. Otherwise, that is the only reason that this team is good. That's not taking away from guys like DK Metcalf or Tyler Lockett or, but also the Seahawks have only drafted two all pro players in the last six years. One is DK Metcalf and the other is the punter. Exactly. That's, that's why this team, like they, they, even when they're drafting, they're not drafting well. Like you trade away these picks for Jamal Adams. Great. But Jamal Adams is a limited player in what he can do for you versus. Yeah. He's just a really good pass rusher who happens to be able to drop back in coverage at a, below average rate <laughs> i was like yeah he's not even that good of a, a pass rusher if you haven't seen the clip in uh, from him uh on sunday night football last week where he said in his little sunday night thing i'm the best safety in the league and he was like 62 out of 69 for on pro football focus's grades it, it like fo- pro football focus isn't a flawless system they do have flaws but that's i mean that's kind of, they're they're still kind of smart but jamal mm-hmm. adams has no sacks this year none Zero. He has zero quarterback hits this year. That was the entire reason that everyone was so excited about him is because he had all these quarterback. He had nine and a half sacks last year. He had 14 quarterback hits. Through seven games, he has zero quarterback hits and zero sacks. He has two pass breakups. I, what, what's the point? Why are, yeah, why are I think they probably regret that? that one. Yeah, I think they, they, I think they, Marcus May I, was I a more personal know. safety and he was his teammate. Mm-hmm. It's tough because I, I've always been like the internet is too hard on Jamal Adams because he's an elite pass rusher. But you're right, like he hasn't been an elite pass rusher this year. Not that you know sacks are the total definition of like being a good pass rusher. Like Jadavian Clowney's a good pass rusher who doesn't get sacks because sacks are more a statistic about the quarterback than it is about the pass rusher at times. But even still, like he hasn't been that good. Like I acknowledge. He hasn't been there. And for the Seahawks, it's just like it's one more bad thing that goes wrong in the whole season. And, you know, we we do make the let Russ cook jokes, bringing it back around that way. But that's been like going on for like four years now. And if they don't do it like sooner or later, like Russell Wilson's slowly becoming the old guy in the NFL, which is unbelievable considering that he was drafted like 12 years after Tom Brady. But he's going to be 34 next year. And there's only so much of a window the Seahawks have to maximize with him. Assuming he's he kind of folded on that I want to leave thing where he was flirting with trying to leave Seattle. But even still, I think Russell Wilson's kind of becoming an old guy in the NFL. Not like he's his play is getting worse, but the Seahawks have to start looking around at what life after Russell Wilson is going to be like. Or if they look up and say, do we maximize Russell Wilson's window? Do we break up the Schneider, Pete Carroll, Russell Wilson trio? Yeah, it, you're right. Russ is getting older, and that's why the whole him able to cover up your warts is becoming more and more of a problem. I mean, that's like you built your team around a guy, and everyone's like, oh, well, the quarterback should take less money or whatever. It's like, no, the team should just put more into protecting said quarterback. Obviously, Russ's big complaint was the offensive line. I got into a big debate with somebody earlier this year about the whole Russ offensive line thing. And he was saying about how, oh, well, Russ could take less money. And it's like, no, the team could just draft better. I went and I looked. So the New Orleans Saints, who, in my opinion, were the best at building an offensive line this decade, they did it by drafting them. All of their guys 
had been drafted in the first three rounds, except for, I believe, Taron Armstead. Like, all of their starters have been drafted in the first three rounds, except for Taron Armstead, or Teron Armstead. And they had all been drafted since, like, 2012. And most of them had been drafted since, like, 2015. And it was all, like, first and second round picks. They went and they put premium investments in premium positions. Meanwhile, Seattle, I went and I looked, they had one guy on the entire on their entire unit that had been drafted prior to the fourth round. That's why the Saints have a quarterback in Drew Brees who was able to pre- play until he was older, despite not being very mobile. Russ is mobile and he can't play, and he's not going to be able to play as long as Drew Brees because his offensive line is terrible. It's like Andrew Luck having to walk away in the middle of his career because his offensive line when he was a rookie with Ryan Grigson as his GM couldn't keep him upright. That's what's happening right now with Russ is he's getting beat up and those hits start to add up. And isn't this kind of a a pivot for them at this point? Because they've been, they've tried, they've kept trying, let's get a defense. Let's get a defense. Let's support Russell Wilson with a defense because that's, you know, that's how we're going to counterbalance because Russell Wilson can improvise plays even without an offensive line. And he gets the ball out in three and a half seconds and all that stuff. That's like, an excuse, but also you should probably invest in an offensive line regardless. And like you mentioned, like the picks just haven't worked out. Like it's been Jordan Brooks, Jamal Adams, and LJ Collier to show for four years worth of first round picks. And I would bet you that those three combined probably have like 20 tackles each as an average and maybe a couple sacks between the three of them at this point. And that's kind of where everything starts to fall apart is they've invested so much in trying to get pass rushing and trading for Carlos Dunlap. I'll throw in there too, that now they look up and they're like, we haven't really properly addressed anywhere else other than locking our way into that DK Metcalf pick. Cause everyone else was dumb. Yeah. They, they have, like I said, they've blown draft picks year after year and it's by it's, biting them it's the same reason that new england is struggling right now because new england proceeded to blow draft picks year after year and that runs out that's that's going to run out and you are going to have to pay the piper and seattle is quickly heading towards that stage tom brady was able to cover up for you for a long time then he left and he and then you didn't have him to cover for you anymore and then now you have russ is going to deal with the same thing he's hurt He's going to, but he'll continue to stick around for a while. He'll play and he'll make you look good as long as he's there. And then as soon as he leaves, poof, the entire thing will fall apart. Well, so what do you do if you're Seattle at this point? Do you just kind of look up and say, we've made mistakes. And so we're just going to have to live with that and kind of be mediocre, kind of like they've been. Or do they look up and say, we need to, you know, totally rethink the way our roster is constructed and maybe trade some of the pieces we have now for draft picks and then use those draft picks in places we haven't used them before. Like, I don't know what the answer is, but like if, if you have like Tyler Lockett, for example, and you could get a first round pick for Tyler Lockett and you're like, well, this could be better served somewhere else or something like that. Like, I just don't know what you do if you're Seattle at this point, because they've given Schneider an eight year extension. They've given Pete Carroll a four year extension. They don't really have a lot of draft picks or cap space to work with. So Do you just kind of throw your hands up and say, we're going to do the best we can do with what we have at this point? I like what you said. Tear it down. Tear tear it down. Scrap it. I get it. I get that you're in this area where you feel you can't tear, you can't tear it down because 
you are trying to compete, but guess what? You're not going to compete. You're now at, you're now the third, second, third, fourth best team in your division. And you're not going to get better because your quarterback's going to get older and your roster is going to get more expensive. DK is going to need a new contract soon. Bobby Wagner is already showing, showing signs of aging. Tyler Lockett is what I've seen over the last two weeks has shown that he can't really do much without Russell Wilson as his quarterback, nothing against Lockett. That's just how it is. And he's going to, and as Lockett gets older, he's his game's largely dedicated, predicated on speed. That speed's going to go away. Eventually you got a guy. If you can ship guys out and get picks for them, maybe you don't have to completely rebuild and tear it all down. Maybe you can just reload. You can get younger players by trading away established veterans. I maybe you don't. I know you don't want to trade away Bobby Wagner. Maybe you trade him away to a team that needs an inside linebacker and is trying to compete right now, and you're able to get a second round pick for him, or you're able to get a young player for him. I don't know how, how to, many players on the Seahawks roster do you think they could get a first round pick for, like right now? Because I can think of four that they could get a first round pick for. Oh man, that's tough. Let if me, you let sorry, me. if you take out Russ, if you take out Russ, he's not going anywhere at this point. Unless he's one, unless he's willing to throw away being corporate Russell and willing to finally make things ugly in Seattle, he's not going anywhere. So okay, so looking through their roster, players that they could realistically get a first round pick for, there's DK. That's it. That, I, I don't think that you're getting a first really? round pick. Really? Not even Tyler that, Lockett? No, Tyler Lockett's not worth a first round pick. Really? I, I don't I, I and think not, I and disagree there. In, in, my, in my opinion, I don't think he's worth a first round pick. I think Tyler Lockett's a talented player. I just don't think he's worth a first round pick. I mean, let's look at it. Stephon Diggs didn't even get a first round pick for the Bills. Or for the, no, they, for did the, get a, they did get oh, a first round pick. Oh, did they, uh, did they get a future first? They got the, other the picks. picks that became they got a pick that became Justin Jefferson and like a fifth round pick or something. So they got like pick twenty two and a fifth rounder for Diggs. Um, Julio Jones went for a second and a fourth, I believe, like last year. That's the best example I can think of recently. But Diggs Diggs went for a first, so Diggs twenty two and a fifth round pick. It looks like in exchange for just him. I think I don't think. Okay, so for just Diggs by himself. You got a first and a fifth, and now you have and Stephon Diggs. So Tyler Lockett is twenty nine now. He turned twenty nine a month ago. Stephon Diggs uh, is I'm pretty sure younger than him, right? Diggs is twenty seven. He'll turn twenty eight next yeah. month. Yeah, pretty close. Until, though, least, but he was traded at twenty five, twenty six when he was traded. Yeah. So Tyler Lockett is, in my opinion, has never been at the same level as Diggs. I don't for so for I think for Lockett you're probably getting a second round pick for him. It might be an early second round pick, but you're only getting a second round pick for him. And there's no team that's because no one's going to trade for Tyler Lockett under the guise of like they're rebuilding and he, treating him as like a rebuilding piece. So you're not going to get an early second for him. You'll get a late second. If anything, you're hoping to get a second and a third. So that's why. So I don't think Lockett's worth a first round pick because we just saw a guy who, in my opinion, is better. In Stephon Diggs, and you got a first and a fifth, and it was a yeah. late first at that. You got a late first. You didn't get an early first. You got a late first. So that's why I'm like Tyler Lockett's not worth the first round pick. That one's tough because I feel like Minnesota didn't get enough for him. Like it works out really well for Minnesota because the pick became Justin Jefferson, and he's obviously a stud who fills the Diggs role. But I feel like that. I feel like the if if the Vikings knew Diggs would become a top four receiver immediately after leaving. 
I think they would have tried to get more for him if they could do it over again. So I, it's tough though. I think you're probably right. Cause the team that comes to mind for me is Washington. Every time a wide receiver conversation comes up and I'm like, yeah, Washington would probably give up like pick 41 for Tyler Lockett, maybe like a third rounder or fourth rounder or something. I don't but even know why they would right. do that though. Cause they have Deami Brown who plays a, who's a very, who's similar. He's definitely, he's a different player, but he's very similar in terms of Deami does a lot of his best work down the field. He doesn't do a lot of the close to the line of scrimmage style stuff. And they have Terry McLaurin. They already have a wide receiver one there. And Lockett at 20, we already talked about it, 29. He's not necessarily in the the prime to where you would have him, to where you would have him as like your top choice. Oh, that's a, so what about Bobby if we go the other way? Bobby wouldn't get a first round pick anymore. Bobby Wagner? I don't think so. Not at this stage. I mean, he's yeah. already like for one, linebackers just don't go, just don't go for that amount of money anymore. He's 31. He'll be 32 next offseason. I just I think that he's he's at the stage now where you he can still help a team win like he's not a liability but he's also you're not line, inside linebackers just don't go for first round picks they just don't nah, not even that one though the one that could be a hall of famer like I'm, I mean Bobby Wagner is making thirteen point so he's his cap number this year is seventeen he's a next year his cap hit is twenty million dollars. Ooh, that's no one point. is trading a first round pick for a inside linebacker that's going to be 32 and is going to cost you $20 million. And then Jamal Adams can't get a first anymore. Jamal Adams, uh, the jet, I mean, the jets wouldn't trade him for less than a first round pick, but, or I mean, the Seahawks wouldn't trade him for less than a first round pick, but you're not going to get a first round pick for him. He's just, he, he's shown this year that he's so limited. He just looks like a linebacker right now. And he's not even getting pass rush. That was the that was the entire enticing thing about him last year. He's got no ball production in terms of like safety or like interceptions and turnovers and stuff. And he's not getting pressure on the quarterback. So it's kind of like why why would I trade a first round pick for a guy? Plus he's gonna have plus he's got an expensive deal. So so the Seahawks are even more stuck than I thought in the first place because he could trade a few of those people, but. I don't know if that's going to get you the return you're looking for to immediately turn your fortunes. It just might make you mediocre and make Russell Wilson's life harder. Unless you like draft an entirely new offensive line or everyone except Gabe Jackson, then maybe, but no, no, no. Hold on. Damian Lewis is fine. Damian Lewis left guard. He's decent. Pochich, your center is okay. He's like serviceable. Dwayne Brown's older. Gabe Jackson's older. Brandon Shell, I don't even know how long he's been around. Like this, this team. The problem is there's too many guys that are jags. They're just a guy. They have a bunch of jags, and that's so. How do you fix that? That's the you thing. Tra- that's you start. You 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 tear it down. You scrap it, and because and that's why I was saying it's tough. Like you want to say tear it down, but they don't want to tear it down because they're trying to compete. Guess what? You're not going to compete tear it down to the studs and deal with it. You're going to have to keep guys like DK, keep guys like Damian Lewis, your young guys and build around them. You're going to have to keep Jamal Adams because you traded too much to, you can't trade him away. So you go ahead and you start finding, you identify pieces to build around like Puna Ford, I think is a decent player. Al Woods is fine as like a free agent type. LJ Collier is okay. He wasn't a first round pick, but that's where you picked him and he's been fine. You just Same have thing to, with Jordan Brooks. Like you just ha- yeah, Jordan Brooks has even been fine. Again, not a, you shouldn't have picked him in the first round, but he's been fine. That's so that's all it comes down to is they have to identify the young players worth keeping and build around them. 
and trade away guys like Bobby Wagner. Trade away your trade away Gabe Jackson. Because I'm pretty sure Gabe Jackson's a little longer in the tooth, if I'm not mistaken. I'm pretty sure he's in his 30s. Right? I mean, he just got traded last year. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, okay. So like he's 30. Traded. He just turned 30 in July. So you don't have to trade away Gabe Jackson. You could keep him. But at the same time, if you can get a pick for him, that's what you do. Dwayne Brown is a guy that I, I would consider trading just because he's Dwayne Brown's 36. Yeah, and that's a good he, that's a good piece to build with. He's he's thirty six. You're not you're not gonna you're not gonna keep him around for the long term. You trade that guy away to it because teams always need tackle depth. Trade him away before you lose him for nothing. I think yeah. the teams and, that always go all in and don't trade players because oh they want to try and make a push for the playoffs or whatever. What okay? Who cares? Why would you want to go out in the playoffs and then pick it pick twenty first instead of picking? 17th because you won one extra game congrats you weren't going to compete you knew that this is the long-term vision that's tough for a lot of teams because in the nfl you you sometimes have to look at your organization and say are we interested in winning a championship or are we interested in keeping our jobs and like this is the unfortunate part of like short-term gains in the nfl where the vikings every year like let's do just enough to keep our jobs but not good enough to do anything else it's like at a certain point you kind of got to look, and I would think the Seahawks are the people who have that leverage because Schneider and Carroll just got gigantic extensions. So maybe they could protect it, but then you're also not trying to alienate Russell Wilson, which I, if you were to tear down the roster, I would assume you have to be like co- uh, corroborating with Russell Wilson on like, hey, we don't think this team can win. Therefore, we want to build around you for the next two years while you're maybe injured this year and next year we're going to, draft a bunch of people and it might be a transition period. I would assume you're collaborating with Russell on that one. But again, he'd be like 36 by the time that you guys got good again, which is complicated in and of itself. Absolutely. If you're going to, if you're going to tear it down, you have to either make sure Russ is cool with it, or he is the first piece that you tear down. If if you're going to tear it down, you have to, and Russ is not okay with it. You have to trade him first because if you trade him second, Everyone's going to know, and no one is going to give you the value that you want for Russ. That's why. So, if so, if you're going to tear it down, which is what I think they should do, they're not going to. I know that. That's what they should do. And if you think if you talk to Russ and he's like, "No, I don't want to be here for a rebuild," then you trade him before you trade anybody else. You can trade everybody after that, but you have to trade Russ first, so that way you can get as much value as you think you can. It's funny that you brought that up because I did the same thing with the Bears yesterday on the podcast where I'm like, I know they're not going to, you know, tear it down, but I don't know what their plan is. But this would be cool if they did X, Y, or Z to try and rebuild that team. It's like, yeah, it, practically it's probably not going to happen because there are forces outside of us, you know, trying to roster construct here. But even still, I I, I agree. Like, it's it's like you can compromise even on this one, just maximize players who have value now feel like Lockett and Wagner's value is only going to go down well then maximize it now since your team's not going to be good enough to win for the next two years in fairness I don't think they know the Bears know what their plan is I mean they're thinking about moving outside of Chicago to one of the suburbs so like they don't know they don't know oh yes white flight they're they're going for the white flight model of we're gonna go build a giant stadium in the suburbs like the Atlanta Braves did I've actually been in the Braves stadium completely off topic been there it's actually it's a it's kind of a neat area like they got an it's like it's got its little own little village just completely off topic we can get back to it but just kind of a unique thing 
Yeah, it's kind of, it's one of these weird little stadiums that's been built up in the past few years around baseball where most teams have their state-of-the-art stadiums now, so there's not a ton of places that are fighting for stadiums. And so it was weird when the Braves were like, this stadium is 25 years old, but we're going to go out to the suburbs and make sure that only people with money and are overwhelmingly white can come watch our baseball games. And I, I've never been to the stadium, but it seems kind of cool. Texas Rangers kind of did the same thing in the parking lot of their stadium where they were like, our stadium is only 25 years old, but we're just going to build another one so that it can be indoors. I mean, that's the best way to do things. Like, don't ever don't ever renovate anything old. Just make just make something new. That's how you do it. Yeah, I think that's kind of a good model there. Um, should should we do the obligatory "What's Wrong with Patrick Mahomes" podcast here? Because I feel like that's something that's kind of been going on throughout right now. Is why are the Kansas City Chiefs not as good as we think they were going to be? But I think we all just got kind of lazy and took the Chiefs for granted a bit. Luck ran out. I was talking to somebody about this at my work earlier today, and he was uh, asking kind of like what's wrong with the Chiefs, and luck has ran out. That's the problem. They're Mahomes tried to throw more interceptions last year than anybody else in the league. He had The only thing is he had more dropped interceptions than anyone else did. He had, I'm pretty sure, upwards of 14 or 15 dropped interceptions that should have cost them, should have cost his team more games, and they just didn't. Luck, we play, it's a game with an egg-shaped ball that never bounces the same way twice. Of course, that like Luck's going to just run out, and that's what's happening with the, with the Chiefs now. The fumbles aren't all bouncing their way. Those balls that Kelsey and, Tre- and Tyreek Hill used to always come down with, some of those are bouncing off their hands and they're ending up in the hands of someone else. That's why this team is losing right now, is the luck has run out and they're still a good team. Mahomes is still outstanding. It's just sometimes luck runs out in a game that has a ball that's shaped weird. And I think that the, I think the Chiefs are still one of the best teams in the league. I'm still nervous about Green Bay having to play them next week. If I'm a team matching up against the, with the Chiefs, I'm still not convinced that it's like, oh, this is a gimme win. I don't think that this is like playing the 0-16 Lions. I think that it's a team that can absolutely hang 40 on you and not break a sweat in the first quarter. That's how good is this, this team is. It just, is it? Oh, sorry, go ahead. I was no, going to build off of that by saying, is this like a double jeopardy situation with the Chiefs where it's like, we all assume they're really good, but and they're probably in a better position to overcome things, but... It's kind of like the Ravens where it's like, okay, Lamar Jackson's offensive line is crippled now. Okay, so now Lamar Jackson can survive that. But if you also throw in all his running backs and all his wide receivers are going to be injured, maybe he can't overcome that. So is the Chiefs situation kind of like they can overcome a bad defense, but they can't overcome bad defense, bad offensive line, and unlucky on turnovers? I think that's a, that's a good part of it is the aspect of Mahomes is trying to do too much. There are definitely plays where, and also I said earlier that teams against Green Bay were playing the too high shell thing and trying to say, hey, if you want to beat us underneath, that's fine, but we're not going to give you the deep stuff. And Rodgers and older quarterbacks are more willing to take that underneath those check down things. And Mahomes isn't wanting to do that. Mahomes is still trying to push the ball down the field. He's still trying to take the deep shot. It's like, dude, no, take the, take the seven yard game and just, and just go to next, go to the next down. It's okay to go to third down sometimes. Mahomes is always trying to get a first down on first down, and that's that's kind of his problem right now is he's trying to do too much. Because you're right, he's trying to make up for a bad defense. He's trying to make up for a he's trying to make up for an offensive line that's still trying to find its footing. Because Orlando Brown, your the guy you traded a first round pick for this offseason, looks rough. He he doesn't look comfortable yet. 
You have your offensive line still trying to get it together. You have Tyreek Hill's been beat up. Travis Kelsey's been hurt. Hill, that ball is bouncing off his hands, and he's had, I think, two, I think he's had two different interceptions where it went right off his hands and landed right in the hands of, of a defender. Sometimes those balls aren't going to bounce your way, and it's a matter of Mahomes needs to calm down and play within himself. And I also think that Andy Reid needs to kind of settle him down a little bit. It just seems like there's a little bit too much of Andy thinks it's the status quo, and they're thinking that just doing the same thing over and over is going to fix it rather than trying to do something different. And I don't know. I don't know when that's going to change. And I don't. And if it doesn't change soon, they're the AFC's deep. That could be a problem. But at the same time, they do still have to play the Raiders twice. They do have some. They do have to play the Broncos. They have some easier games on their schedule. They can get it right. It's just a matter of getting it right sooner rather than later. Yeah, and they should probably still win the division. I'm surprised that they're still kind of like fading a bit at this point. But it can't be like everything is in chaos now for the Kansas City Chiefs, right? Like they, th- we agree. Like they're still really good with the pieces that they have. It's just that it's going to be hard for them to overcome that because this year, unlike last year, where it felt like it was just a coordination that they were going to make the Super Bowl for two months, like. This time it feels like they can be beat any given week by any of those teams in the AFC. More specifically, Buffalo, Baltimore, (laughs) dare I say Cincinnati. I don't think I'm going to do it. The Chargers. Let's throw the Chargers in there. Yeah, like if you sit here and you look at this team, they they aren't – like they've lost to the Bills. They've lost to – like they've lost to the Bills, the Titans, the Chargers, and the Raiders. Those are good teams. We expect all like all. Let's see, the Chargers didn't make the playoffs last year, but we expect them to make the playoffs this year. The yeah, team, Chargers the Bills, got significantly better. Bills made the AFC Championship game last year. Titans made the AFC Championship game two years ago. Have made the playoffs each of the last, I think, three years. And then, they're the Titans are built to beat the Chiefs because Derrick Henry and they didn't even beat them the way that they're constructed to win. They didn't beat them by just running for, running all over them. Derrick Henry, everyone's like, oh, take the over on Derrick Henry yards. He only had 86 rushing yards. He averaged three yards a carry. It wasn't even yeah. a big day. It was that awful defense somehow playing a great defensive game, which is just going to happen sometimes. That's why I'm taking nothing from that result. It's like the Titans defense is not going to play that well any other week of the year. It just happened to be against Patrick Mahomes for some weird reason. Yeah, so that's why I'm not. I'm taking a big, I'm like a giant grain of salt with this team. I'm not. I'm not leaving them on the side of the road for dead. Well, They're also, going, you were going through all of that, and you didn't even mention Lamar Jackson, which might be the biggest threat to them at this point because Derrick Henry can run the ball, but he doesn't run the ball the same way Lamar Jackson runs the ball, which is literally the threat of throwing a sixty-yard pass every time he runs it. Yeah, Lamar is a Lamar is a terrifying being for anybody to deal with, uh, and I don't envy like trying to tackle him and trying to tackle. Um, Derek, like trying to tackle Derrick Henry Lamar in the open field just doesn't seem like a fun time. I've seen way too many clips of guys going flying by Lamar as he just stops on a dime or he just hits a spin move like he's in Madden. And I feel bad for the people that have to deal with it. I'm just glad that I don't. But that the Ravens the Ravens defense scares me. The Bills the, the Bills are the biggest threat to the Chiefs in my opinion because at the end of the day, their offense and their defense are both good. The Ravens, their defense can be good, but they can also be very vulnerable at times. The, the Bills, I have not really seen the Bills be super vulnerable this year. Yeah, they got beat by the Titans, but that was a game where Derrick Henry went manchild, and he had a great 
freaking game. And sometimes that's just going to happen. You're going to have those games. But other than that, the Bills have yet to allow 100 points this year. They've given up 98 points. Yes, I understand they had their bye, but still, they've only given up 98 points through six games. That's a really, yeah. that's really, really, really good. That's why the Bills are the biggest threat to the Chiefs right now because their defense is good just like their offense is good. And the Bills offense yeah. isn't even fully clicking yet. This is the thing that's tough with Buffalo is like because you can poke holes in pretty much every team at this point, and I feel like we can, and that's why the AFC feels like it's so open this year is because we can poke holes in every team. But Buffalo's kind of looks like at this point, are we afraid of Josh Allen going to have those Josh Allen games where he completes sixty percent of his passes and throws two interceptions and his QBR like plummets to seventy five? Like that feels like the only real threat of. Buffalo going down like yeah maybe Derrick Henry outduels Josh Allen once a year or something like that but it feels like the biggest threat is just Josh Allen self-imploding in one of these moments which is because maybe Josh Allen is a really good quarterback but not quite the quarterback we saw last year who kind of self-imploded against the Chiefs I mean the Chiefs defense played remarkably well against the Bills in the AFC championship game but even still, Allen's completion percentage is down five points this year. He's still going to throw 45 touchdowns and be awesome. But it's it's like that's the only risk, I feel like, of Buffalo losing is just that guy self-imploding. Yeah, I, I and I don't think that's going to happen. I think that Josh Allen, we've seen – I think that last year he overperformed – like just, I don't think that he's going to be a near perfect guy with this increase, this massive increase in his completion percentage from one year to the next. But I also don't think he's going to be a, I don't think he's going to be the guy we saw in year one. I think he's going to be a good to above average quarterback. And I think he's more than good enough to lead this team to a playoff win. So I'm, I'm in on Buffalo as a, as a legit contender in this, in the NFL. I think that they have a great, as good a chance as anybody to get out of the AFC. And especially because, if you look at their schedule, it's not exactly a it's not a murderer's row moving forward. I was looking at uh, strength of schedule for remaining teams. They and the Chiefs have the hardest remaining strength of schedule, by the way, mm-hmm. in terms of opponent win percentage right now. They play opponents with a forty-one and twenty-six record. Meanwhile, the Bills have the third easiest remaining schedule. Twenty-nine and forty-three is their current opponents like remaining schedule. The Bills who are already first in their division, have the easiest remaining schedule. And that right yeah. there is why the Bills are – like ha- they have a great chance to lock up the first seed. They have an easy schedule out of them. The Patriots are not that good, and they still have to play them twice, I believe. They have to play the Jets again, and they have to play the Dolphins again this week. Actually, I think they have two games against the Jets still. The Bills have a chance to go and make sure that the playoffs run through Buffalo and – with full sta- full fans and stands, that's a terrifying task for anybody to deal with in January. Yeah, and I probably come off as a hater towards Josh Allen on that one. Like it, Buffalo's flaw is probably the least of the flaws between the AFC teams. Like I think they will end up with the number one seed, but I also don't think that matters at all if you're Buffalo. Like I feel like we know how good Buffalo is. Enough so that if they play, like, like yeah, rest is always going to help at a certain point, but I've never subscribed to the idea that being healthy is like a – or not being healthy, being rested an extra week is a significant upgrade for teams in the playoffs because I've seen teams that have sat people lose games that they shouldn't have lost 
And I feel like it's it's kind of overrated a little bit. But even still, like, Buffalo's flaw is probably the least of the flaws in the AFC. Like, Chiefs, we talked about that. Baltimore, offensive line is falling apart. Uh, Chargers, defense can't really stop the run as well as they'd probably like. And we just kind of don't trust them at this point. Bengals, offensive line is a problem. And whether Burrow holds up and has the time to execute. Raiders, defense is not really that good like out of all the teams titans defense is not really that good like buffalo's flaw is probably the least bad of all the flaws among nfl teams right now or specifically afc teams like maybe tampa is better positioned maybe the rams are better positioned but like buffalo is really good like i don't i didn't want to come off as a hater on josh allen on that one like the the other teams have probably more prominent flaws than the buffalo bills Tampa's not that good. <laughs> you took the throwaway line in there that Tampa, I put them at six and one and said, yeah, that team's really good. I, I kind of agree with you. I think the Rams and Packers are both better, but still they, the Bucks are pretty good. Okay. <laughs> so the Bucks are good. I'm not like, I don't want to yeah. like get it confused where people are like, Oh, you're saying the Bucks are not good. Or you're saying the Bucks are better. Whatever. No, here's what I see. I see a Bucks team that last year had historically good health. Like the mm-hmm. amount of like they were just they were healthy all year and it and it never ran out. No one ever gets that. We're seeing that now where their entire team is beat up. There's a reason that they have that they're not undefeated and they're not just running roughshod over just anybody because they they have been beat up this year. But let's look at the let's look at their wins and let's really see like who they've beaten this year. So they beat the Cowboys by two on opening night in a game where it was a it where yeah. the Cowboys. If Greg Zerline makes kicks, yeah. If Greg Zerline made Greg Zerline left like eight points on the field in field goals and extra points, like they probably should have lost that game. Then you go to the Falcons game where it 48-25 final score. The game was a lot closer than that. It was a very, very close game, and then you put up 20 points. It was a three-point game heading into the fourth quarter, and then you put up 20 straight points. The I don't think the Bucks are nearly as good as they were last year. I think they're still really good. but And then you – congrats, you beat the Bears by 35 in a game where Justin Fields threw his first pick because his, off- his offensive coordinator and his headset told him, yeah, no, you got a free play. The Dol- You beat the Dolphins without Tua, if I'm not mistaken – you beat the Patriots by two on the road in a game where you nearly lost and you probably lose if Bill Belichick goes another couple of yards. And then yeah, where Tom Brady plays poorly also. Like you you all you win a game where Tom Brady plays one of the worst games of his career. And then you go and you get beat by the Rams in a game where the Rams beat you by ten. I don't think the game was that close. I think that the Bucks are like so a lot of people were like, "Oh, the Bucks are the top team in the AFC," and I don't really, or in the NFC, I don't think they are. I think they're in the three, four, five range. I think the Rams, <laughs> I think the Rams are probably the best team in the NFC, in my opinion. Because it's so funny that you said that. Because last year I said the Bucks were the fourth best team in the NFC, and then they did that weird thing at the end of last year where they beat Breeze, Rogers, and Mahomes and won the championship. But because I think they it, I were think healthy when no one else was. What? Uh, yep. You have the Packers who don't have their starting left tackle. If David Bakhtiari plays in that game, there's a very good chance that Green Bay wins that that game. They because also don't the have their star running back. That Aaron Jones it's got Aaron hurt. Jones, yep, got you hurt have, in the second quarter. And then you have, and then you look around, and Mahomes obviously had no offensive lineman. You, 
the Bucks got healthy at the right time. And mm-hmm. that's at the end of the day, that's the difference. And I don't want to take that away from them. I know pe- like a lot of people will probably be like, Oh, you're just a hater. No, I'm acknowledging that the, Getting hot at the right time and being healthy at the right time are the two most important things to winning a championship in any sport. That's why the that's why the Dodgers just lost in the NLCS. They're not healthy, mm-hmm. and the and the Braves are. Clayton Kershaw couldn't play. Obviously, Trevor Bauer is a terrible person and doesn't deserve to be in the MLB and should be in prison. But he's so he didn't play. Clayton Kershaw didn't play. You ran out of pitchers. Max Scherzer couldn't pitch your bet. Couldn't pitch your final game. That's why the teams that stay healthy are the ones that win championships. The Bucks were healthy. Yeah, do we bring year. up the NBA? Do we dare bring up the NBA where literally every star except Giannis got hurt? <laughs> exactly. Every star except Giannis got hurt last year. You look that's all that it's all it takes to be all it takes to win a championship is to be healthy. So I'm not gonna go ahead and hand the Bucks a title yet. The Bucks still have to play. They have to play the Saints twice. They have to play Washington. You gotta play the Colts on the road. You gotta play the Bills at home. The, like the Bucks got the most cake schedule that they could have asked for. They're too hard. Their hardest game was at the Rams. They get to play the Bills at home. They got the Cowboys at home on opening night. They got like they got to they got to play the Colts on the road. Ooh, the Colts are fine, but they're not in the class with the Colt with the Bucks. And then Washington's not nearly as good as everybody thought they were going to be. So I'm just sitting here and I'm like, you get this cookie cutter schedule. No wonder you're doing so well this year. You played a first, you were our first place or a second place schedule and you're still playing teams that aren't even that good. So no, I don't yeah. think the bucks are that good. I don't think the bucks are going to repeat. And if you gave me a, like, if you gave me good, like if you gave me odds on it, I would take the odds on them not winning the championship. Oh yeah. I agree with you too. But I think, cause I think the Rams are a better team than them. I think the Packers can beat them every week. I think the Packers would probably be favorites at home and underdogs on the road. So they're like fairly comparable teams. And I just don't know what to do with the Cardinals yet, but the Cardinals are obviously seven and zero. but I'm just, I'm just pausing before I do any evaluation on the Cardinals. So yeah, I think I probably agree with you and Dallas. Okay. We'll, we'll, we'll keep tagging Dallas along as long as we can before that defense finally gets exposed. But even still, we'll, we'll, we'll keep tagging Dallas along as a team that theoretically could beat the Bucks. But I think you're right. Like, I don't think, I think Tampa is going to be really good. They're going to have a really high seed because the division's not good, but that's kind of the same case as the Green Bay Packers right now, where regular season doesn't really matter that much. It's all about getting to those three playoff games in January for both of those teams. Yeah, I, I agree. I like I don't I I just I see that teams are now more than ever taking the approach of it's all about the postseason. That's why Antonio Brown takes that week off. That's why you give your guys that are your star players, you're like, you know what, it's fine, take a week off here and there because you need to, because we don't need you now. We need you six months from we need you three months from now. Like David Bakhtiari, Green Bay could have kept him on the active roster and tried to rush him back from an injury, but they're like, you know what? No, we could survive without you. And then just make sure you're good for January. And that's what they're doing. He's going to come back and he's going to be completely healthy rather than rushing him back in August and him sustaining another knee injury or taking a few months to get right or sustaining an injury because he's compensating for his off because for his bad knee. That's what teams are doing. The best teams are concerned about, as you said, the three, the three games in January rather than being concerned about the ones now. Well, is it so weird that I think the people who reason people are jumping off of Kansas City is because Kansas City now can't afford to stay, just fight to get healthy for January, like because now they're fighting for a playoff spot? 
It, no, it's not. It's not weird because you, like it makes perfect sense in a crowded Western, in a cra- crowded AFC, you're going to go to the teams that are the best. The Chiefs do have an uphill battle to win to make it into the playoffs. Right now, they're the let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six. There's six teams ahead of them right now in the playoffs. Uh, no, wait, no, seven because the Browns have four wins. There's uh-huh. seven teams ahead of them. They are on the outside looking in. If the playoffs started today, they would not be in the playoffs. There'd be it'd be Bengals, Ravens, Browns, Titans, Bills, Raiders, Chargers. So they the Chiefs would not be in. So no, it makes sense that people are out on them because they're assuming that the Chiefs are not going to get better. Plus, I already I already pointed out their schedule doesn't get easier. They still have the hardest schedule remaining of all teams. So it makes sense yeah. that people are concerned about it. They've got a brutal three game game stretch coming up. It's why I was so worried. Well, it's why I picked the Chiefs to win against the spread last week. But also, just the Titans were one of the easier games on their schedule for the next few, you know, the next few weeks, I suppose, like the next five or six. They have the Giants this week. After that, I think it's like Packers, Cowboys, and I think Raiders maybe or or Chargers. Someone from the division in there, but. It's like the Titans were one of the easier ones on their schedule and they couldn't even win that one. So it's kind of weird to try and like patch together wins at this point for the Chiefs. Like they might come out and they might just like bulldoze the Packers two weeks from now and, and then those concerns will go away. But it's not like this is something that can just be ignored at this point because the Chiefs are still on the outside looking in in the playoffs. Yeah, they – it's one of those things where they could they're one of those teams that could get hot and just rip off a stretch and make us be like, Oh, okay, they're they're good. Yeah, they play Giants, Packers, Raiders, Cowboys, Broncos, Raiders, Chargers, Steelers, Bengals, Broncos. They're they their schedule is brutal. The only two really gimme wins you would say on there is the Denver and the oh well the, is the Giants and then like Denver. And even Denver's not a gimme win. Yeah, maybe it's, Pittsburgh. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, kind of depends on where Ben is at that point. It's late December, so the cold might kind of mess with his old joints. So that's that's fair. But other than that, like Dallas is not going to be an easy win. Raiders, and it's at it's at Vegas. You play Green Bay, and Green Bay assume like presumably healthy. That's not an easy win. It's well, Green tough, Bay also with eleven road. days off. Yeah, Green Bay will have the extended rest, and the Chiefs will be playing on short rest too because they're playing on Monday Night Football. So. It, it's going to be it's going to be a tough sled, and it makes sense that people are jumping off of them. I wouldn't be. I'm not putting my eggs into the Chiefs basket, but I'm also not trying to. I'm not trying to say, oh yeah, no, the Chiefs are done. They're toast. No, they're not. They could easily rip off ten straight wins, and we'll all be sitting there like, what the hell just happened? Yeah, I'm out, I'm over here cradling my Mahomes jersey and saying, I won't do it. I won't do it. I'm not. Not, not until I see it. Not until I see it will I decry the Kansas City Chiefs and say they can't win the Super Bowl. Yeah, until until the fat lady sings, until Mahomes is done, until the clock hits zero, I am not never counting the Chiefs out. They've given me too much reason in the past three years to not to just to count them out. Yeah, I'm with you right there. So. Appreciate you giving an hour here. I love the conversations that we have, and I like bringing them to life uh last time obviously was around the trey lance jimmy garoppolo situation which feels like everyone gets to be a loser in that now because both options look to be going quite poorly for the 49ers but still i like bringing these conversations to life here so uh i guess just follow gage on twitter and check out all his cool stuff i guess that's the best place to find him 
Yep, thanks for having me, Kyle. Uh, as always, everybody can find me on Twitter at GBridge for the NFL. All of my work for Roto Baller, Dynasty Nerds, and Denver Stiffs can all be found there. Uh, I appreciate you having me on. Yeah, appreciate it. Have a great rest of your day. You too.